How's everybody? It's a delayed response there. It's good. It's good. Uh, so we've been working through the book of Ecclesiastes for several months now. Not exactly sure how long. We're in chapter 10 today. If you have not been here, um, well, hey, you know what hit me? I got up here Saturday night, and it hit me that over the last almost 11 years, we started the church in 2009, we've done, uh, I think, 20 books of the Bible by this point, which sounds impressive until you think that there's 66 books of the Bible, which I was doing the math, which means you need to come to this church for at least another 20 years <laughs> if we're going to get through this entire book. So uh, we still have a long way to go, guys. Um, but we're making it through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're almost through. If you have not been here, what makes this book of the Bible so fascinating, at least it has for me, is the author, right? And I say this almost every week, but if you're new, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes was a guy named Solomon. He actually didn't live to be that old. He died, I think, around 60 years old. But what made him such an interesting individual was not just his wisdom or that he contributed three books to the Holy Bible. What made him so fascinating is this is a guy that had everything, all the things that we think we need or think that we want in this life. He had all the money you could spend. He had all the pleasures and sex and women he could possibly have. He had power and authority. He had influence. He had everything. And what makes this book of the Bible so interesting is the man that had it all looked back on his life right before he died and he said, it didn't give me what I thought it was going to give me. I was not content with it all. And he realized that contentment and true joy only came from a relationship with God. So Ecclesiastes is a very interesting book of the Bible. Now, if you weren't here last week, uh, I don't know, I'm always impressed that you guys keep coming back because I was quite salty last week, so thank you. Uh, you're a very resilient crowd. But anyways, we talked about last week, we talked about something called the Peter Principle, which was a book that was written in the late 60s. And what the Peter Principle means is, is that we all reach a cap. We all reach a ceiling. And the only way that that ceiling is removed is if we have some kind of outside help, right? And so we talked about in our faith, the only way that we can be saved, the only way that we can transcend well into the next life and spend an eternity with God is we must be saved by Jesus Christ. It lifts that lid, if you will. We also talked about, though, not just in salvation, but in this life, that if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can have better marriages we can have better friendships, we can be better with our finances, we can be better at our jobs or in our schools or whatever the case may be, that that lid is lifted and we can be better, right? Because we have Jesus' help. This week we're going to be talking about this, and it's, guys, I'm just give you a warning, it's going to get super personal today. We're just going to ask hard questions, and we're going to talk about kind of those secret dark chambers of our heart, if you will, and we're going to ask this question, does our private life look like our public life. In an era of social media, we have become masters at creating this facade, right? Look at how happy I am. Look how good everything is. Look how much I have it together when in our private time we're dying, right? We're struggling. We have sin that we're dealing with. We're, we're depressed. We're lost. We're lonely. But we have this public image. So the question today is going to simply be, does our private life look the same as our public life, okay? And I'll ask a series of questions at the end where we'll talk about that. So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. It has everything I'm gonna say in there. Everything should be on the screen if you didn't get one of those notes handouts. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, click on Service Times, Sermon Notes, everything should be there. If you have a Bible, 
We're in the Old Testament. We're in chapter 10 of the book of Ecclesiastes, right after the book of Proverbs. Now, chapter 10 is a series of Proverbs, little short phrases, okay? But they run together well, and they have a a pretty congruent thought pattern, so it's not going to be too difficult, all right? Everyone doing okay? Good? All right, good? Okay. I want to tell you guys, on a serious note, uh, I absolutely love this church. I love you guys. And, And after weeks like last week, where I feel like I was just super salty and hammered on you guys, um, I truly do appreciate that you guys I hopefully understand my heart and uh, that I really care for you. So um, again, thank you for supporting the church. Thank you for being here. And, and I hope the word just really blesses you today. I know it sounds like a churchy thing to say, but I hope it means a lot to you and I hope it uh, lifts you up today, okay? Hey, Let me, thank you. Uh, oh, Like I said, I think you guys are just kind of gluttons for punishment. So uh, anyways, <laughs> let me pray and we'll jump into this. God, I love you so much. I truly do love this church, God. And uh, Lord, in all my faults and failures, if, if, if I can love this church, I know that you love it in a way that we can't even understand. So thank you for that, God. I pray, Lord, that as we read your word today, that it, that it blesses us, that it sharpens us. I pray that it makes you proud. I pray, God, not just for our church. I pray for every church in our community, every church that we work with around the country, all the churches that we work with overseas. And um, again, Father, we just pray that this study, that it lifts us up, and then it makes you more clear in our lives. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your son's name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Solomon speaking, starting in chapter 10. I'm gonna read a little bit, and then we'll go back and break it down, okay? Solomon says, dead flies make a perfumer's oil ferment and stink. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise person's heart goes to the right, but a fool's to the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his heart lacks sense, and he shows everyone he is a fool. If the ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post, for calmness puts great offenses to rest. So the Bible is full of examples of how if we let a little bit of foolishness, a little bit of carelessness, a little bit of evil or sin creep into our lives, that it will ruin everything. Now, the example that Solomon uses here is if you imagine this very, very expensive jar of perfume or ointment, and there is a fly that's buzzing around, and it gets on the lid of the ointment, it walks around the outside of it, it gets dangerously close to ruining this very precious thing that we have. Now, here's the thing, guys. God is not against us having a good time. In fact, when we get into the book of Ecclesiastes, we've seen over the last couple of months that the Bible says, enjoy your life, right? If you've been blessed with a lot, enjoy those things. Have a glass of wine. Hang out with your friends. It's okay. It's okay to enjoy the things that you've worked hard with. But when we are foolish with the truly important things in our life, when we're careless with these good things that we have, Sin can creep in, that foolishness can creep in, and it can ruin the very, very important things in our life. So here's the thing, and if you're not a Christian in this room, I'm I'm not trying to talk down to you, that's not what I mean by this, but I believe Christians are to live at a higher level because we have the Holy Spirit of God with us, which, which enables us to live at a higher level. So we're called to be diligent, and the dynamic follower of God does take care in those mundane things. Maybe things that other people don't find important, we find a little bit more important. And when we take the time to do things well, what that actually does in our life is it opens up room for us to have more fun. 
We talk about this as a staff at the church all the time. Put everything on a calendar, work smart, work efficient. Yes, work hard as well. And what that does is it opens up time for you to have some space, to be a little bit more carefree. But in order to do that, we have to mature, right? And first, we have to mature in our faith, our relationship with God. And when we mature in our relationship with God, our actions follow, and they become more mature. Now, let me tell you what this does. When we're more mature in our faith, it protects us from the curveballs that life throws at us. Let's talk about money for a second. It's very simple. If you have a savings account, and I don't have a very big one, but I have a little bit of a savings account, a little emergency money there. What that does, though, is if something goes wrong with my car or the HVAC goes out in my house or something like that, you have that money set aside to where you're not stressed out. You don't lose your faith and run for the hills and pull all your hair out, right? You've been wise. You've prepared for those curveballs, and you can take care of those things. Very simple, practical stuff. So listen. If a wise Christian takes care with the small things, how much more important is it that we watch out for our hearts? If the small things, if they become careless, they can do a lot of damage, how much damage can be done when we let those flies, that sin, that evil, that foolishness, get into our hearts? But again, here's what we do. We're so concerned with our public image, what everyone thinks about us, right? That's why we put so much care and time and energy into Instagram and social media and Facebook and all that stuff, but we forget about our private hearts. Now, here's the thing, very simple. Without prayer, without meditation on Scripture, not just reading the Word of God, but actually thinking about it. You may be one of these people, and I'm sorry, but you ever meet those people who are like, I'm going to read the Bible in three months? I'm like, well, you're going to miss a lot of good stuff if you do that, right? It's like getting a $100 steak and just shoving it all in your mouth and swallowing it. You should chew on it. You should taste it a little bit. It's the same thing with the, if you're a vegetarian tofu, right? Just whatever it is. Um, <laughs> but it's the same thing with the Bible. Don't just cram it down. There's a lot of information in this book. Sometimes read a little bit and just sit back and go, wow, that was pretty heavy, Right? And think about it for a second, meditate on it. Without prayer, without meditation on the word, and without worship, what will happen is our heart becomes exposed and sin creeps in and it will completely ruin us. Look at what Jesus said. He said this almost 2,000 years ago. Look how relevant this is. Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body's full of light. Practically speaking, Jesus is saying whatever you take in through your eyes, through your ears, what you take in in your heart and in your mind, if it's good, everything's good. Everything's, everything's all right. But, he says, if your eye is bad, if it takes in bad things, evil things, it says it contaminates the entire body. So these little bitty things right here, if we let evil through them, it can contaminate everything. So if that light within you is darkness, look at what Jesus says, how deep is that? How far can it go? So we have to protect ourselves. Not only protect ourselves, we have to prepare. We have to protect our hearts and minds from evil. And we have to prepare because, listen, guys, we don't have to go looking for evil. Evil will come looking for you. I got a 10-year-old girl. She's beautiful. Blonde hair, blue-eyed, love her to death. She's a good kid. She's always asking me for a phone, and I'm not trying to judge you if your 10-year-old has a phone. I'm not ready to give my 10-year-old access to everything yet. I'm just not there, right? 
And so I make up all these things. Well, you know, maybe when you're 11 and in my head, I'm like 31, you know, but anyways, <laughs> have all these things, but we don't have to go. My daughter doesn't have to go. She's a good kid. She doesn't have to go looking for bad things. Bad things will try to find her on that phone. We can download games that are for nine-year-olds and in between like the rounds of whatever the game is, there's ads for all kinds of crazy stuff because people are after your kids. People are after you, right? Evil is coming after us. Now, here's the other side of that. We cannot isolate ourselves from the world. I know one day I'm gonna have to buy her a phone. I know that I can't keep my kids from the real world. I can't keep myself from the real world. I don't think that's what God wants us to do. We're not to isolate ourselves from the world. That's what you call a cult, right? That's when people become weirdos, when they hang out in those Christian bubbles. That's not what we're supposed to be. We're to function in a real world. So instead of being isolated, we have to be insulated by the Holy Spirit of God. That goes back to we need to pray. We need to read the word. And guys, we need church. It is important to be around like-minded people, other brothers and sisters, to help us and to make sure that we're walking the right road. And if we're insulated by God, we can go out into the real world and we can be the light in that real world. Verse three and four, though, I find interesting. If we don't protect ourselves and if we don't prepare ourselves for the things that's gonna come at us, what is in our heart will eventually come out. Verse four says, calmness puts great offense at rest. But when there is sin in our heart or when we're just not connected to God the way we should be, stuff comes out, right? We show that we have a lack of sense. We say things that we shouldn't say. We act in a way that we shouldn't act. We show ourselves to be foolish. The bottom line is this. We can only hide our true selves so long. What is in here will eventually come out. It will manifest itself in some way, always, okay? There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, an error proceeding from the presence of the ruler. The fool is appointed to great heights, but the rich remain in lowly positions. I have seen slaves on horses, but princes walking on the ground like slaves. The one who digs a pit may fall into it, and the one who breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. The one who quarries stones may be hurt by them. The one who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen its edge, then one must exert more strength. However, the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. If the snake bites before it is charmed, then there is no advantage for the charmer. I really like that one, and we'll talk about that one. Now listen, I'm not taking a shot on our current president, our former presidents, anyone in office, anything like that. I'm not taking a shot at that. But oftentimes, we put the wrong people in places of authority because as a culture, we value big personalities more than we value substance, integrity, and in hard work. I won't just pick on politics, I'll pick on the church for a second. We often like the pastors that are like the super cool dressed ones, that's obviously not me, right? But the super cool dressed ones that are super attractive and say all the catchy things that you like and they shoot super soakers into the crowd and say some one-liner and we like that big personality more than like we, we care that they're even teaching the word of God. A lot of them don't really teach the word of God at all, they just say a bunch of snappy things and they're kind of fun to look at, right? They're animated. 
And so we value big, big personalities more than we value substance. We also forget sometimes that people who are in authority are up there because some people don't have the same advantages and opportunities that others have. That's why poor people never run for president. They don't have a shot. They don't have the money to afford to run for president. So we only get a certain kind of person that typically leads our nation, right? And again, I'm not trying to like hammer on anyone. Everyone stay in your seats. So, okay, so here's a good opportunity for the church. God absolutely loves the underdog. That's why the Bible talks so much about the poor. That's why the Bible talks about the immigrant. That's why the Bible talks about the broken. Because God does his best work when people least expect it. When people are desperate, when no one would ever pick that person, that's the person God picks and does something amazing with them. Now the church has a hand in that. What is so beautiful about the church, or at least it should be about the church, is when you walk into these doors, it doesn't matter if you're worth $10 million or $10, it doesn't matter what color you are, it doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you, to God and hopefully to the church, we are all on an equal playing field. Christianity is the great equalizer, right? Because God is no respecter of people. So what the church can do is the church can give opportunities to people that the world would always overlook. We talked about this last week. The world would have never chose David, right? But God chose David, not just to kill a giant, but to be the best king that the Jews had ever seen. The, the humanity would have never chosen Moses. God chose Moses to lead the greatest exodus of people that has ever happened, the greatest liberation story of all time. God sees something that we often don't as people, and the church should have a sense of that as well. Here's the other thing. With God, there's no real room for excuses. Though many of us in this room do not have the same kind of opportunities that other people may have, just because we haven't had the same opportunities doesn't mean that we can't be everything God wants us to be. Despite our backgrounds, despite our mistakes, because of God's grace, his wisdom, because the body of the church, anyone can lead a successful life. And when I say successful, I'm not talking about money. What I mean is this. It doesn't matter how many times your father cheated on your mother, you can be a faithful husband if God is inside you. Doesn't matter how abused you've been, doesn't matter the things that have happened to you or your lack of education or whatever the case may be. If the Holy Spirit is in us, we can be what God wants us to be. I have gotten so sick of the excuses of Christians. Well, I do this because I was treated like this. Listen, I'm sorry you were treated like that, but the Holy Spirit is bigger than your past. The Holy Spirit is bigger than the mistakes you've made. The Holy Spirit is bigger than the abuses that have happened to you. I'm sorry that you've been a victim, but God's identity for you is not victim. The Bible says, listen, the Bible says we don't just overcome. He says we're more than overcomers. So the Spirit, we have to believe that the Spirit of God is bigger than our circumstances. So the Christian doesn't really have any excuses. We lean into God. We lean into the church. We lean into the Word of God. And we get the answers and we get the direction we need. Solomon says, though, that one who digs a pit may fall into it. Here's the thing. Though we can do our best to prepare, though we can do our best to, to protect ourselves, sometimes stuff just happens. And I think we over-spiritualize things a lot, right? People come up to me all the time, just like, Corey, the devil's after me. Transmission in my 1983 Buick went out. <laughs> and I'm like, the devil's not after you. you your car just sucks. I mean, like, 
transmissions go out, right? I know there's 8 billion people on planet Earth, but the devil just wants to ruin your transmission. Um, it might be a little bit of an over-spiritualization. So sometimes bad things just happen, right? The Bible says that rain falls on the just and the unjust. When it rains, those drops of water aren't looking for people who suck, right? Go get him, right? That's, that's not what they're doing. It falls on good people. <laughs> I'll go back and watch that later, and I'm like, why, Corey? Why, why'd you say that, right? But here's the thing. If we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when that rain falls on us, we don't lose our mind, right? We don't go crazy. We have a relationship with him, and we can say, God, today's not the best day, but you're still good. I'm gonna be okay. We're gonna keep moving forward, right? That's why we have to be rooted in him. We also have to sharpen the edge of our axes. I love what Solomon says here. Solomon says that if you're gonna use an ax, and that's a metaphor, of course, right? But let's say you're really a lumberjack. If you don't sharpen that ax, when you go to cut down a tree, it's gonna take more work. In fact, dull instruments like that can even be more dangerous sometimes than sharp ones. So Solomon says, take the time and sharpen the ax, which means for us, all of us in this room, sometimes we need to slow the heck down. We need to do some unhurried thinking. We need to read a book. We need to do some extra preparation time. But the problem is, is we are so busy, we're so distracted, and we forget to just slow down. That's why King David said, be still and just know that he's God, right? Sometimes, even if it's just for 10 minutes, guys, maybe you need to take a break at work, go outside for a second, just, God, I know you're with me. God, you're good. And maybe just be quiet for a second, right? Sometimes we just need to take a little bit of extra, uh, an extra break and read a little bit, prepare a little bit. You know what Bill Gates does? Bill Gates takes a, a trip every single year for a week he goes to a cabin by himself on a lake. I know we don't all have the, the, the luxury to do that, but he goes to a cabin by himself on the lake and he just dumps everything in his head out on paper. He just writes it all down. He sits quiet. He sits by himself and he just kind of thinks a little bit. All of us need some kind of variation of that, right? Something like that in our lives. So a lot of us are so busy, we're, we're so distracted, but quite frankly, some of us are just lazy, this last analogy that, that Solomon talks about, I love this. He says it's like a snake charmer that's too lazy to charm his snake. So he sits down, snake comes up, and instead of dancing, just bites him, right? That's what we do in life, though. Because we take shortcuts, because we just want to do it the easy way, and our society is we want everything right now. We send a text, and we're like, oh, it's been 45 seconds. You know, I mean, like, why haven't they responded yet? We want everything all the time. And we take shortcuts, and when we take shortcuts and we're lazy, we get bit, right? It comes back to get us. Dave Ramsey said to me one time, and I'm not trying to drop names or anything, but he said, Corey, I will take teachable and hardworking over talented 10 out of 10 times. What that means is this. Even if people are not the smartest, even if they don't have all the credentials, even if they don't have this huge resume, if they will just work hard and be teachable, I would rather have that over a lazy, talented person any day. I can't tell you how many people I've interviewed for jobs here, and they are brilliant, intelligent, but they are lazy as all get out, and they have no room on, on our staff here. It just doesn't work. You can be the smartest person on earth, but if you're lazy, God's not going to use that because God's not a God of lazy, okay? Last part. 
The words from the mouth of a wise person are gracious, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words from his mouth is folly, but the end of his speaking is evil madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No one knows what will happen and who can tell anyone what will happen after him. The struggle of a fool wearies them, for they don't know how to go to the city. Woe to you, land, when your king is a youth and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, land, when your king is a son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Because of laziness, the roof caves in. Because of negligent hands, the house leaks. A feast is prepared for laughter and wine makes life happy and money is the answer for everything. Let me pause. Because I missed this when I was breaking this down and it's a huge one and I regret missing it. When he says money is the answer for everything, he doesn't literally mean that. Because earlier in Ecclesiastes, he goes against exactly what he said right there. What he means is, is that if we're wise with our finances, when things happen, you will have the money to take care of those issues. He's just talking about being responsible, okay? He doesn't literally mean money is the answer for everything. Do not curse the king even in your thoughts. Do not curse a rich person even in your bedroom. For a bird of the sky may carry the message and a winged creature may report the matter. So our words are extremely important. How we talk matters. Words reveal what is inside our hearts. The Bible says that our tongues can either build people up or they can tear people down. I don't know if anyone else in this room, I have a terrible memory. My memory is not great. I have vivid memories, though, of times when my father said something that was degrading to me. And I'm not trying to just hammer on my father. We don't have a relationship, but I don't know if any of you are aware, maybe some of you who grew up with, with parents that, that weren't always the best at how they spoke, but you parents in this room, you need to know that your words have a lot of weight. There's a lot of weight behind them. Proverbs 18:21 says, the tongue holds the power of life and death. I don't think we understand just how crucial how we talk can be. So foolish people make two mistakes when it comes to talking. One, they don't think about what they're gonna say before they say it, they just blurt it out. And then the other thing that foolish people do is they don't know when to stop talking. So here's the thing about words, and I've done this a million times, is once they come out, you can say you're sorry as much as you want, but they're out there, right? They've already been spoken, they've already been said, and you can't take them away. They have been let loose. So a wise person thinks before they speak. And a wise person speaks when they have something substantial to say. We are a culture that is terrified of silence, right? We're in our car going somewhere, you and your friend. And if it's silent for like 10 seconds, you're like, uh, oh, what about steering wheels? And they're like, yes, yes, I love steering wheels. And they just have to talk about something all the time, right? Because we're terrified of just being quiet for 30 seconds or more, right? We're just, just terrified by it. But maybe some of us should be quiet sometimes. A fool also claims to know the future. If you guys have known anyone like this, they, they can just predict everything, right? Well, I know this is going to happen and this is going to take place. And it's interesting though, because the Bible says no one knows the future except for God. This is why we should trust God. 
This is why we should put our future in his hands because he's alone the only one who holds the future. We also need to be careful, just as a side note, as Christians, we need to be careful when we tell people that God told us something. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and they're just like, Corey, God told me this. And then next week, for some reason, God didn't tell them that, right? So we need to be very careful whenever we say we have a prophecy, which I believe in the gift of prophecy. The Bible talks about it. But we need to be very cautious when we're speaking on behalf of the creator of the universe. Fools also have a lot of dreams, but they have no direction. <laughs> Again, I love this. Solomon says they want to do all these big things, but they don't even know how to get to the city, right? So I can't tell you how many times I've had people come up to me over the years and like, Corey, I have solved the issue of hunger in Africa. And I'm like, bro, you still live with your mom. So you need to solve the problem of like paying rent and getting a job before you tackle another continent, okay? But that's what, that's what foolish people do sometimes. They have these lofty aspirations and goals and they have absolutely no plan to get there. They don't know how to get to the city. They wanna build this great thing, but they don't even have a license to drive, right? So they have all these lofty aspirations. The other thing that foolish people do is they don't ask God what his dreams are. Listen, here's the thing, it's okay to have dreams. I have dreams, I have aspirations. I'm sure a lot of you do as well, and that's fine. But we need to make sure that those dreams line up with God's dreams. And we need to ask what God's plan is. Solomon said earlier in Ecclesiastes, it's better to finish something than to start it. So if you have 19 projects and you haven't finished any of them, I'm not trying to be mean, but it makes us look foolish, right? So when we go to someone and you're just like, I got an idea, and I'm like, it's great you have an idea, but you never complete your ideas, right? So it's probably just a waste of, of our time. Solomon also says that good leadership matters. Not only is the ability, man, this is so important. Not only is the ability of the leadership of a, a country, a church, a business, not only is that important, character does matter. Again, I'm not, excuse me for this, I'm not trying to be offensive, I was 19 years old when Bill Clinton got impeached. It was 1998, I believe. You can fact check me on that. I think it was 98. And I remember the big argument was, well, our, our, our economics are good, right? The country's moving in a good direction. All these things are good. So who cares that this guy cheated on his wife in the Oval Office? Who cares? I remember being like, I care. If he's gonna lie to his wife, he'd lie to me too. Because character in private will eventually come out in public, eventually it comes to the surface. If you're a huge Clinton fan, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings there. But we often value selfish gain over integrity. Well, as long as my 401k is doing good, I don't really care what he does behind closed doors. You should care because eventually that deceit and those dark corners will become public and eventually that lack of integrity will hurt a people. It will hurt a nation. Verse 20 says, um, it, it encourages us to be conscious of our thoughts. So not only what we do and what we say, but what we think. I felt super convicted about this passage this week. God bless my wife. She becomes like my, my dumping ground of all the, the bad thoughts I have about people. I'll be brushing my teeth and I get angry, angry brushing. There's no gums left, you know, and I'm like, Alicia, you wouldn't believe this. And I'm just like spitting out stuff and I'm telling her about all the evil stuff that happens and all these bad people and all these things. And I'm, I'm, I find myself kind of talking bad about people. And Solomon says right here, don't even curse a rich person in your bedroom. 
So in my bedroom with my wife there, sometimes I dump out all these feelings. Now listen, don't get me wrong, our spouses need to be kind of that sounding board and a safe place for us to get stuff off our chest, but I felt convicted. I don't need to be cursing rich people in the privacy of my bedroom. Because what it means is that even our most private thoughts are known by God. That's a sobering thought. And if we're not careful, everything that we think is eventually gonna be let out in the open. The Bible says what is whispered in alleys will be shouted from rooftops. This is why the Bible tells us to capture our thoughts. We need to get a grip on what we think because if we're constantly thinking something, we're eventually gonna act on it. We also need to let God tame the tongue. Whenever I hear people who claim to be Christians and they're always cursing at people, they're always saying divisive things, they're always gossiping and slandering and complaining, their tongue is run wild. And if someone claims to follow God but there's no control of their tongue, I would argue that they probably don't follow God because God tames the tongue. We should speak differently when we have a relationship with God. So let's talk about our private lives. Let's go back to the very beginning of this. We talked about having this very valuable thing, right? A perfume or an ointment. And there's these flies that get dangerously close to this very precious thing of ours. Let me ask you this. Have we let harmful influences get way too close to what is important in our lives? What does that mean, Corey? It means that when you're at work, ladies, and that good-looking, charismatic guy keeps coming by your cubicle. You're married, you got kids, but there's this guy that keeps coming by and you don't really tell him to leave. Now, you haven't done anything yet. There hasn't been any infidelity, but there's this fly getting way too close to what's important in your life. It's like you guys that stay up really, really late at night and you're on the internet, and you're not looking at porn, but you're just looking at stuff on YouTube that it's not full nudity or anything, but you're kind of dancing around it. And what happens is, is that fly is getting way too close to things that are important. If it's true what Jesus says that just a little bit contaminates the entire thing, are we careful about what we watch? Are we careful about what we listen to? Have we let things get way too close? Do we realize, guys, that a little bit of sin can do a ton of damage? A ton. Sin has this insatiable appetite. It's like a cancer. It never stops. It's never satisfied. It says in the Bible that the devil wants to steal, kill, destroy. He wants to rip your life apart. So what a lot of us do, and men are really, really bad at this, is we compartmentalize the sin over here, right? I'm a good dad. I'm a good husband. I'm a good leader. I'm all these things, but I got this thing right over here, and I can manage that. I can kind of keep this in the back corner. No one will ever know about it. And what we don't understand is that little thing starts to overtake our lives and it contaminates everything about us and the devil doesn't stop until we're absolutely destroyed, okay? Let me ask you this. Do we use our backgrounds as an excuse to not be what God wants us to be? Well, Corey, you don't know how rough my background is. Well, you don't know how rough my background is. Let me tell you something, guys. Everyone in this room has scars, all of us. So whenever people come up and say, I've had a rough life, Man, I can introduce you to some people who had some rough lives, really, really bad lives, but we have to believe that Jesus Christ is bigger than our rough lives. Let me just get all Pentecostal on you here for a second. 
Do we believe that the Holy Spirit of God covers those things up? Do we believe that the Holy Spirit of God can take someone? Do you think God wants us to come in church and leave the way that we came in? Listen, if God cannot let us overcome the things we've done and the things that have been done to us, why in the heck do we worship that God? If he leaves us the exact same way he finds us, what was the point of the cross? What's the point of that book? But there's so many Christians who say, well, this is just the way I am. Well, it's not the way you're supposed to be. God wants you to be something greater than that. And we have to start believing that God has the power to transform. We have to have that belief and that confidence. Do busyness and distractions prohibit us from preparing and protecting ourselves spiritually and mentally. So what happens is there's so many people that they'll come to church and they come to church because life's okay, right? It's manageable. But even though we come to church, a lot of us don't build a relationship with God. And when we don't build a relationship with God, the first sign of adversity, we're done, right? The first time something bad happens, well, God, what the heck, right? And we walk away from the faith and we hate the church and we're angry at God and we don't pick up the word of God. Jesus even told us that this life is gonna have struggles. There's gonna be pain in this life because there's a lot of broken people walking around and broken people break people, right? And so if we're not insulated, if, if, if we're not covered up, if we're not full, if we don't prepare for the things that, that, that are gonna come at us, we're gonna put our tail between our legs and split the first sign of adversity. I recommend that you, you, you set your busyness down, you set your distractions down. Find some quiet time, some alone time. Sharpen the ax. So again, does our private life resemble our public life? Does your heart still look the same at two o'clock in the morning on a Friday as it does at 11 o'clock on a Sunday? What are you doing when no one's looking? What are you doing when you don't think you're ever gonna get caught? Guys, God sees it. Are we who we claim to be? Do we know that our secret actions don't escape the eyes of God? Corey, that's scary. It, it, it should be a little sobering. Then even when we think we're getting away with these things, God sees all of those things. And guys, I'm not trying to be all hell and damnation on you today. We're gonna be held accountable for those things even for our thoughts. When Jesus says, whenever people said, well, Jesus, I never murdered anyone. Jesus says, well, you hated people. It's the same as murder. You're gonna be held accountable for those thoughts. But do we realize that if we don't get a grip on the darkness in our heart, if we don't bring those things to the light, if we don't let God and his Holy Spirit in to take the place of all this selfishness and ugliness that's here, those things are gonna come out. They're gonna come out the first time you get treated poorly at work. They're gonna come out when you get fed up with your home life. They're gonna, get, they're, they're gonna come out when people mistreat you. They're gonna come out. And it's gonna hurt you. It's gonna hurt those around you. Here's what else is fascinating to me. There's probably, I don't know, about a thousand people in this room right now. What's fascinating to me as well is we come in here every single week and we hear the word of God we worship together. I'd say the majority of us in this room have the same kind of focus and goals, right? We wanna know more about God. Even if you're not a Christian in here, you're here because you're probably curious. 
You wanna know more about this, this Jesus thing, this Christian thing? And it's fascinating to me. And listen, I know that we can receive forgiveness and we can pray and we can worship on our own time. I know we can do that. I know that we can even take communion on our own time and have that time with God to where we kind of settle up with him and, and, and get right with him. I know we can do that. But let me ask you this. As we come here today, as we have this opportunity to hear the word and respond to the word, will we hear everything today and miss yet another opportunity to leave this place different than when we came in? Jesus said that we're to take communion every single time we gather together in remembrance of what he has done. So we come here together in this wonderful nation that we live in where we have the freedom to talk about the word of God and to speak openly about what it says. We sit in comfortable chairs and we get good music and we hear the word of God. We're offered the body and blood of Jesus Christ, a remembrance that God sent his only son while we were sinners. He was nailed to a cross. He shed his blood, which not only forgives us of the evil that has been done to us and that what we've done, but it gives us the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live at the level that God wants us to live at. But from my vantage point, do you know what I often see when we offer communion? Man, we got places to be. Listen, nothing you do today or this week will be more important than you taking a couple of minutes, taking the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and remembering what your Savior has done for you. There's nothing you will do this week that's more important than that. And why in the heck did you even come to this place today if you weren't expecting something to change, if you weren't expecting to grow closer to him or to find hope or to find promise or to be more than an overcomer? Why did you come? So listen, I said to be reluctant when I, tell people that God has told me something. As I was typing this out, I usually don't end my lessons like this, but I felt like God told me this. God is not looking for you to be perfect. Listen, I know that some of you are gonna leave this room and you're still gonna have struggles. I know that. I know that you're gonna go out of here and you're not gonna be perfect. I know that everything instantly isn't going to change. It's gonna take work and time, I get that. But you're never going to reach perfection. But God doesn't want you to be perfect. He will eventually make you perfect. He doesn't expect you to be perfect right now. But what God is looking for is someone who will be honest. What God is looking for is someone that wants to have the same private life as they do a public life. God is looking for someone who has the willingness to be more like him. Now, as we come into this room and we talk about a God that will forgive us and restore us and help us, who's given a word to help guide us, a church to help hold us accountable and support us, wouldn't it just be absolutely foolish to not take advantage of that? But Corey, I got places to go. I guess that's between you and the Lord. And there's nothing I can do to change your mind, maybe. I don't know. But today, it may take a little bit of time because it's a big service, but we have the body and blood of Jesus Christ where we can sit and we have a tangible tasteable thing in our hand. We can taste it, we can touch it, we can smell it, and we can remember that Jesus Christ loves us so much that he died for our sins, that he'll forgive us, 
He'll give us the power to forgive those who have wronged us. He can restore us. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, we can be what he wants us to be. It's the good news. And today, I, I, I strongly encourage you to not walk out of here the same way you walked in. Okay? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Hey, listen. If you're in this room and you are not a believer, or maybe you just have questions, up here on my right, your left, Isaac is up here. He's our discipleship pastor. He would love to talk with you. Any questions you may have, you're not going to throw him off. You're not going to offend him. He, he's heard a lot of stuff. So if you want to come up here and talk to Isaac, please, you're more than welcome to do that. Up here on the right and left, there'll be men and women who would love to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything, health issues, family issues, financial issues, job issues, whatever it is, come up here and get some prayer, please. Then the last thing is we have communion all the way around this room. I know it may take a couple of minutes. I know you got stuff to do. I know you're probably in a hurry. But man, some of you guys need to sharpen the ax a little bit. Some of you guys need to slow down. Some of you need to be still and know that there's a God that loves you. Some of you, listen, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, some of you need to be honest with God and say, God, I have, I've tried to hide some stuff. He knows, but we need to confess it. Maybe we need to confess it to a friend. But maybe some of you in this room, not just to say, not just say you're sorry to God, to repent in that manner, but to fully repent, maybe today is the day you start walking away from that sin. You may slip up, you're not gonna be perfect, but maybe today is the day you choose to walk away from that. Everyone is welcome to take communion today. Everywhere around the room where there's a lamp. Lord Jesus, God, we love you, we thank you. I love this church, God, I love the people in this church. God, be gracious and merciful with us. We know that you are. Thank you for your son that died for us, God. Thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to, to not just be saved, but to overcome. God, we love you. We praise you. Bless my brothers and sisters in this room. Keep us safe until we meet again. We pray all these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.